This is Teach for All Talks, a conversation with global education thought leaders. Today's episode features Wendy Kopp in conversation with Aditya Natraj, founder and director of the Kaivala Education Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to elevating the leadership of school principals in India. Aditya, maybe you can can kind of just tell us how you began on your kind of social change journey um, in India. Sure. Um, I think it's uh, reasonably easy in India to start on the social change journey because uh, my family probably represents what most uh, Indian families uh, represent, which is two generations ago, my grandfather was uneducated. And it's just because of education in the last two, three generations that we've suddenly moved from poverty to an opportunity where I've studied abroad, you know, we could, I can afford to travel, I can afford to enjoy life. And my grandfather was one of 11 children, and only four got to college. Uh, the remaining seven worked to get the four to college. Mm. Luckily, I think smart great-grandfather, he got two women educated out of the four that he got educated. Uh, but continuously, you could see that uh, even my father is one of 44 first cousins. And uh, each of the cousins still continues to support the others because uh, today, now two generations down, you can see that we have people, you know, amongst the whatever, we must be some 150 second cousins. We can see people who are below the poverty line living in not so good circumstances. And we can see people working as McKinsey partners <laughs> within the same family. And there's absolutely no difference in the gene pool. Mm. So I don't need to see outside the world to see that education is the greatest leveler or the greatest, or if you get different educational opportunities, it's the greatest de-leveler. Mm. And that really irritates me. Mm. It really irritates the hell out of me. I mean, it's such an easy thing to solve. We just need to get our minds around it. I think a critical portion of democracy is the fact that we offer everyone an equal chance at education, mm. especially in a country like India, which has had so much uh, inequity for so many yeah. years, thanks to feudalism. I think when we bring in democracy, we have no choice but to assure people that you have an equal chance now. Yeah. The only way is to level education. So mm -hmm. I think that was something that was always in the family. Yeah. And uh, so I did do my trip into business and, you know, I, I almost dropped out of college. And my dad said, yeah, yeah, great job. You know, you're going to go and do this sort of work, but who's going to pay the bills? Mm. And then I was working at KPMG. Again, I said, okay, you know, just doesn't make sense. What are these buying and selling companies and advising CEOs? Corporate finance <laughs> didn't turn me on. I said, what am I doing here? And yeah. again, I almost dropped out. And dad said, okay, so who's going to pay the bills? And I went to business school, and there I confirmed. I mean, I went to my career counselor who said, listen, it's just not turning you on to be in business, <laughs> so you might as yeah. well do something else. And I almost agreed to hmm. uh, drop out. Finally, dad said, okay, drop out and do something hmm. meaningful. But it was four months left, so I sort of finished my business school. Yeah. Having finished business school, of course, you have a huge loan. So yeah. for two years, you work as uh, child labor for whoever you <laughs> sell your soul to. And, but then the day I paid my, uh, my loans, I went back yeah. to India and got involved. Mm. Um, in fact, for me also, it's a rather unusual moment because I got involved in education after the earthquake in, in Gujarat in Kutch. Mm. And so my first six months was doing trauma relief mm. for children who had died in the school when the earthquake had happened. And today yeah. the Nepal earthquake has happened. So yeah. for me, wow. it's, yeah, 13 Now, years. when was that? 2002. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's when I started. And and how, and w how did tell us kind of where you where you went from there? So you were working on 
on that relief effort, it So I like. was a typical urban kid. I, um, I spoke English. I didn't even speak any of the Indian languages. I had grown up abroad um, in the Middle East. Mm. Uh, I didn't even know very much of India. So mm. I spent my first six months volunteering in uh, post-earthquake relief mm. uh, work yeah. and uh, worked to restart schools uh, in 700 <laughs> villages which were mm. earthquake affected. Mm. Uh, then I went and stayed in a slum in um, in another small city in India called Rajkot, uh, where I actually taught, mm. uh, and I understood why. Even my I couldn't even convince my landlord's son that he should stay in school after grade eight. Mm. And I realized there's something desperately wrong with this system. Yeah. Uh, and then I went and worked with child labor in another um, for another three months mm. in another city. So that was my first year of sort of trying to see the scenario. Yeah. You know, just working with different groups and stuff like that. And then for four years, I worked as a manager in an organization called Pratham, mm. uh, which is large-scale education reform in India. Mm. Uh, and that's when I, I mean, I traveled a lot across the country. Pratham is focused on improving the public education system. So I met a lot of school teachers, principals in the public education mm. system. And that's sort of from where the idea came up to actually do leadership training for principals. It is. And, and what was the origin of that idea? So I suppose uh, after four or five years of, uh, of doing this sort of work uh, in the public education system, we used to run uh, remedial education, we used to run a whole bunch of teacher education, we used to run community libraries. These are all first generation learners in India. Mm -hmm. So you need a lot more support than a traditional school can just provide because a parent doesn't know anything except to sort of hit mm -hmm. you on the head whenever you don't know what's happening. Mm -hmm. That's about the parent's contribution, unfortunately. So. Uh, so one thing I noticed was that if you look at a group of 100 schools, uh, there's probably a normal curve, at least in India. There's a 20% at the bottom, which gets written about, which is where teachers are not coming, mm. principals are unionized, there's a hell of a lot of corruption. Mm. And then there's a 20% which you don't understand why, but they're just you know, banging their heads to make sure that kids are mm. doing well. They're mm. just working really hard. I don't know why, they're paid the same salaries, they're in the same system, you know, the school mm. is just two miles away from the other school, but they're still working really hard. And then there's a big middle 60% who's sort of just doing enough to keep the system mm. afloat, you know, mm. neither pushing themselves too hard nor doing yeah. too little. And this is the great Indian middle class, you know, who mm. reasonably God-fearing, just does as much as is required, doesn't have a sense of agency to change the world. Mm. And I really thought that was the opportunity. If we could find out what were the mindsets in the top 20% mm -hmm. and what were the behaviors that they were expressing and train the middle 60% to express similar sort of behavior, yeah. right? Or motivate them to provide similar sort of behavior. Maybe you could change the middle 60%. Mm -hmm. That could really swell, swell up the average mm -hmm. a lot more. Don't focus on constantly being caught up in the bottom 20%. Yeah, interesting. And where were you observing that kind of in? So this, yeah. this was across states and schools in India. Yeah. I traveled a lot across uh, Bihar, Rajasthan, Gujarat, Maharashtra, Madhya Pradesh, Uttar yeah. Pradesh. I traveled across a lot of the states where Pratham was working. And that's where I sort of... Uh, yeah. observe this. Actually speaking, there was one particular principle which just blew my mind and actually this was during the earthquake time. And in fact, I blogged about it while I was volunteering mm. and he still is the inspiration for what I do. Mm. Because, you know, every school you went into post the earthquake had children who had died. Uh, obviously, every family had children who were paraplegic yeah. and so you were constantly just helping heal. 
And one of the things in post-earthquake relief is to restart schooling as quickly as possible because that provides a sense of normalcy to mm. the family. That, okay, things have started. Otherwise, mm. you're just moping and that just goes into further depression yeah. of the community. So we were, and, but you couldn't restart schools because children had died in the schools. There were still bodies in the schools and so schools needed to be reconstructed. So we started sort of temporary things where we said youth members from uh, the from the village, you know, can three, four of you get together, at least start doing a little art activities with children, at least start engaging mm -hmm. with children, helping them deal with their trauma. And we were going around doing this. Mm. In one particular village, there was a principal who said, no, I don't want this to happen. So one of the staff I was working with, I said, you know, of course you can go and convince him. So he went back again and he came back and he said, no, the principal yeah. refuses. So I sort of went in there and uh, said, you know, okay, let me go and see why this guy is saying, mm. no, it doesn't seem like a stupid idea. And when I spoke to him, I mean, for two days after that, I didn't speak to anybody because mm. I was so sort of just blown away. 75% mm. uh, of the teachers in the region where the earthquake had happened, which is a district called Kutch, were from outside of Kutch. This is, a, this is the second mm. largest district in India. It's a complete desert. One village is, I mean, there is no agriculture, mm. extremely poor populations. Uh, you know, and so 75% of the people, obviously, very low literacy, second lowest female mm. literacy in the country. So obviously, the teachers were from outside. And as soon as the earthquake had happened, obviously, they all evacuated and went back to their hometowns, right? Yeah. Because they said, who's going to stay here? There's still aftershocks for the next 9, 12 months. Yeah. This particular principle of the public education system was actually posted outside Kutch. Post the earthquake, he moved himself and his family into the earthquake zone, mm -hmm. okay? He got a transfer to go into that zone. Not only to go into that zone, he didn't go into the big urban areas in that zone. He went to a really bad province inside that. Mm -hmm. And within that, I mean, our car got stuck in the sand trying to reach his village. Mm. And the school, and he just went there, and the school, which before the earthquake had 87 children, post his coming in had 125 children. Mm. And just because of this one man, uh, and I really couldn't understand. I said, why are you doing this? So how did you do this? And you know, he said, I went to UNICEF, I got a tent, I went and spoke to the local electrician and I said, is it more important for the rich people to have electricity or for the kids to be able to read? <laughs> I went to some businessman and said, is it more important to do this or to give some kids some textbooks? And he mm. just mobilized stuff and he got it going, he went and spoke to some youth volunteers and said, listen, okay, the teachers are not here, but this is your yeah. community. They don't care about it, you care about it. And he brought them back yeah. and he just mobilized the community and before you knew it, you know, everyone was contributing, community was participating. And I was just blown away. And yeah. this is the same community where the village two miles away would say, you know, these children are very poor. Every family has had a paraplegic now. How do we expect us to change? Government has not done anything. Yeah. You know, mm. same. I mean, there's no difference between mm. the two communities. Mm. The only difference is the attitude of this one gentleman. Yeah. And I blogged saying, you know, all we need is 600,000 idiots like this. Because... This guy was an idiot. I mean, there's no way you can justify on any rational basis mm. why you should be doing this. There's no economic incentive. There's nothing that can justify what you're doing. Yeah. And when I asked him why you're doing it, he said, well, I'm a public servant, so I'm in service of public. And yeah. this is the biggest service that public needs, so I'm doing it. Yeah. And he didn't even think it was anything great. He just thought it was part of his uh, thing. Yeah. So this is a slightly extreme example, but I blogged about it mm. and I said, okay, so 600,000 villages in the country, all you need is 600,000 idiots. Mm. And in a country of 1.2 billion people, it's not impossible to find 600,000 idiots, <laughs> right? And if you just imagine that the average principal in a school becomes a principal somewhere between the age of 40 and 45, mm. he's got a 20 years to work in that community, mm -hmm. right? In those 20 years, you're going to see one, one and a half generations go through your school. 
so you can challenge everything mm. about gender in those one and a half generations. You can transform what you believe about, uh, you know, Hindu Muslims being bad to each other. You can yeah. transform everything about caste. You can transform within that one and a half generations. You could yeah. transform anything you want. Yeah. And principals in schools haven't recognized the beauty of, you know, the fact that they're a paid social worker to really transform yeah. the country. They don't find a sense of community amongst the 600,000 other people who are doing the same role. Yeah. They think of it as an administrative duty. And really our program is just to rekindle that beauty of what sense of agency you actually have mm. to transform the world. So this was actually, we had started talking about this work to develop principles several, several months ago. And, and that was the inspiration for me to say we have to get you to explain what you're doing to the broader Teach for All community because what you're doing, we should be doing all over the world. Um, so can you, can you share more about your approach to, to that? And I mean, the results that, that you're attaining and all, but how, how, are you, how are you going about that? So we started, I mean, I started the research on this. So, I mean, it also sort of blended a little bit of my business background because of which I can claim I know something about leadership mm. um, <laughs> and my education background because of which I can claim I know something about teaching. And so it sort of combined the two. And I think mm. the principle really is a role which combines the two, the academic leadership and the sort of management and project management that's required to mm. sort of run an institution like the school. So we really bring the curriculum together from various pieces. There are sort of four pieces in the curriculum she brought together from four different institutions. Mm. We call it personal leadership, instructional leadership, organizational leadership, and social leadership. Mm. Right? We looked at models across the world. We actually looked at university programs across 17 different universities, including those in the US. Uh, what I found was a lot of them are not practice-based. Mm. Uh, so learning the history of American education is definitely very important. But at least in India, once you learn that, the chance that your practice in the school will change is quite low. Mm. Right? So that was a, those were the master's programs available in education. And in India, the senior most teacher just overnight becomes the principal. She's not trained anything. So one day you were teaching physics in grade five, next day the senior most person retired, and so you're the principal. Mm -hmm. So there's not even any license here, there's no retraining, nothing. So we did a research saying, okay, what are the different types of skills required? And these were really this PIOS, personal instruction, organization, and social. And they're rather obvious. What is basically ossified is the relationships that the principal has with the four main stakeholders in the school. Mm. Uh, as a school, unlike in a corporate environment where I think you have X amount of authority, uh, in a school environment, you really don't have that much influence because teachers are there for a different purpose, you know, and children are there for a different mm. purpose. So I don't think you have as much authority to be able to say, okay, lay off this, cut this, stuff like that. Because I mean, in a school, you can't say, okay, all those kids are poor, so let's get rid of them, mm. right? So the point is you have to include them. When you're running a business, you can say, okay, those customers are not giving me money. I need not provide them a service anymore, mm -hmm. right? A school involves a sense of inclusion. So I think the way to lead a school is obviously substantially different from the way you need to lead mm. a typical business corporation. So for this, I think the personal leadership, so what are the four relationships that I've ossified? Mm. One, the relationship with children. A lot of principals have just forgotten the joy of interacting with children and the sheer sense of joy of adding value to a mm. child's life and the child coming back and saying, mm. thank you. Mm. I come from a family of teachers. I know my mom, my sister, everyone's a teacher. And they're not working for today. They're not working for tomorrow. They're working for 20 years mm. down the line mm. when someone comes back and says, you know what you told me in class that day? That's what changed my life, right? That's what you're working for. Mm. So now, if as a leader, you don't understand the beauty of that, you really can't lead. Yeah. Right? You have to have experienced that joy yourself, and only then can you help others 
sort of, at least this is my view, that that's yeah. the only long term because the amount of work that's required, the wages are never going to be enough yeah. to justify that. And it so just, how do you get at that? So those, so we do a lot of very deep personal reflection exercises with principals. These are all, let me just give you a broad overview mm -hmm. of the program. So the program is three years. Uh, the program is in service. That is, it is for existing principals of public schools. It is voluntary. Uh, and it involves about 12 days of workshops per year. So you come in for four days, then for another four days after three months and another four days. Mm -hmm. And 16 days of on-site coaching every year. Mm -hmm. So someone comes into your school and says, okay, you learned that at the workshop. Let's see your, let's see your actual context of you know, how you can involve uh, low-income students to actually challenge themselves mm -hmm. more. What can we do with those parents? So let's try and organize something at your school. So someone's coming in, working with you at the school as well. Yeah. So it involves basically about 12 days of workshops and about uh, 16 days of on-site uh, mm -hmm. coaching. So uh, during the workshops and the coaching, a lot of the work is on the person, on the individual. Uh, our basic thesis is that technical skills are secondary. The first thing is the mission orientation of recognizing your sense of agency, your sense of beauty in the world and how you can change the world. And that's mm. the key portion. Mm. So that portion we do through a whole bunch. I mean, it's, even yesterday I was speaking at NYU, it's difficult to say exactly what we do for that. But mm. there are a whole set of tools you can do for that sort of reflection. It's a lot of deep reflection exercises saying, why are you here on this planet? Mm. What, are the, what are the things you aspire to do at the age of 22, right? which, are, which you've just given up on now? What are the assumptions you're making about the world, which may not actually be true? Uh, what is the sense of community you have with your sense of, with the other professionals? And when you slowly unbundle all this, and then we do a whole set of activities with regard to arts and sports to build community amongst these people for the common vision, mm -hmm. saying, okay, we're all here for children. Uh, so I think there's a whole set of exercises, including sometimes we've done yoga, we've done meditation, we do whatever it mm -hmm. takes to get that group of people to really invest their lives behind children. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the only goal. So what process you follow for that, you know, that's left to the individual teams. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting. I mean, we've been having such deep discussions across the Teach for All network about teacher development and mm -hmm. the competing theories about, you know, the, I mean, the massive body of knowledge, the, the mindsets, the skills and the knowledge that are involved. But how do you do you come at this first from a technical perspective and give folks the skills and knowledge they need to be above water? Or, or do you have to start with the mindset development? And I'm curious whether you've gone on a similar journey in that or where you've, what you've seen through your own work with principals. So we have definitely started with the mindset work first and then moved on to the technical. Uh, and it's sort of very intertwined because after you do a little mindset work, if you don't give the technical skills, the person can't move. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you move, then you again get stuck. So you need to do deeper mindset work. Mm -hmm. And so it's really very intertwined. So I don't think it's one or the other, mm -hmm. but it's a very intertwined matrix, which is why it needs three years of, uh, mm -hmm. of sort of work. Uh, you know, so I think it's very intertwined. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, if you look at all, like I was saying, four relationships have ossified. One is the relationship with your children. Two is the relationship with your teachers. You don't relate to your teachers. Uh, and if you don't relate to your teachers, teachers are not going to relate to the children. Mm -hmm. You don't empathize with how tough her role is. You don't empathize with what she's struggling with at home, what she's struggling with as in her classroom, mm -hmm. how joyful she feels when something happens, how sad she feels when something mm -hmm. doesn't happen. If you don't relate to that as a leader and help her deal with that set of emotions, right? So mm -hmm. you're not relating to her. Three, you're not relating to your parents. Again, they're just, you know, they're just mm -hmm. numbers. But yeah. I mean, do you really personally relate to them and recognize, I mean, that their biggest investment is their children in most yeah. parents' case. Do yeah. you relate to them? 
And the fourth and final relationship is with yourself. Most of us have lost touch with ourselves, who we want to be, why we want to be. We've, I remember a principal who came back to me and said, don't do any of this more. I refuse to attend your workshop. I said, why? He said, you're reminding me of who I used to be at 22. Mm. And I don't want to remember that idealism mm. and that sense of possibility mm. anymore. You know, the world is a bad place. Mm. It's easier to live believing that the world is a bad place and I can do nothing. Mm -hmm. So the very fact mm -hmm. that you're coming and talking to me about it <laughs> means yeah. that there's no choice. Yeah. You're going to come back to the next workshop. Yeah. You know, wow. <laughs> there's no choice. You're going to come back. And 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 so the work that you were describing about the reflection and and such is key to all of those relationships. Absolutely. So why do you judge a parent who's from a lower income or from a lower caste, believing that they're stupid? Uh, because once you judge that, they recognize that no matter what tonalities you use, mm. ultimately they're recognizing that judgment and you can never relate to each other. You can never really have an authentic conversation. Mm. So what is the bias in your own mind which makes you believe that someone who's lower income or someone who's less educated or someone who's from a different caste or a different religion is bad? Mm. So if you don't work on yourself, you can't relate to that person. Yeah. Right? Similarly, a teacher, I mean, a typical Indian school will have five, uh, five uh, a typical primary school in a village will have about five teachers. One of them will be lower caste, one of them will be a woman, one of them will be from another religion, and two will be upper caste males. And so for some reason or the other, these relationships don't work, right? Because I can't talk to a woman, I can't talk to the lower caste, and stuff like that. But again, why? I mean, what are those social biases which are stuck in your head? Hmm. So, you know, it's all assumptions inside our head. Yeah. We don't really talk to you as the human being. I talk to you based on your degree, based on your age, based on your social prowess, yeah. based on your gender. I don't talk to you as a human being. Can I look into your heart and talk to you? And that's what you have to teach them to yeah. do. And that's how each of those relationships slowly come back, right? With the child and with everyone. Yeah. And, and what have you learned along the way about mindset development? Like, do you feel like you've, you've learned some salient lessons as you've tried to engage in this? Definitely. Um, so I think people used to believe I was a bit nuts eight years ago. Mm. I said you have too much belief in humanity, but everyone who comes into the program, the one thing that you have to sign up for is that every human being is beautiful, wants to do good for the world, but just gets stuck in systems because of which she performs certain actions. Mm -hmm. Right? If you don't fundamentally believe that every human being is good and wants to do good, it you know, then there's something in the way you relate with that human being that's mm. going to mm. cause chaos. I mean, you might use all the right words in the diplomacy, but it doesn't work. Mm. Uh, and you have to almost believe that the person is good more than the person believes she's good. Yeah. Right? And uh, I mean, ultimately, you're that or you're not that. And as each leader, if we don't believe in the beauty of people, I don't see what our role is. Uh, that's the only mm. role. I think mm. human beings have lost the understanding of the beauty of themselves. Mm. So, so really, the key lesson for me uh, in this mindset work mm. is that human beings are dying to be liberated. Mm. Uh, they're dying to be useful in the world. They're dying to have a sense of pride. Uh, so we work on this framework called MLPJ, which is recreating meaning for these principles, recreating a sense of learning, you know, mm. that they're learning something, because a lot of them are just repeating, repeating the same job, a sense of pride amongst your professional colleagues, mm. and a sense of joy every day when you're going into school. And if you help recreate this in educators, right? Mm. Just meaning, pride, learning, and joy. Uh, it's very different. This is not technical skills now. Does this person, now I can look at a person and say, okay, does she have a sense of meaning in her work? Yeah. No, she's doing it as an administrative job. Yeah. She enjoying children. Does she have a sense of pride amongst her peer group? No, she feels inadequate and yeah. low self-esteem. Yeah. Is she learning something new every day? 
no, she's repeating the same job and just wants to repeat. So she's yeah. not going to this. Yeah. So these are very different drivers for, I think, why educators get involved rather than a more typical, you know, a more cerebral yeah. job, which I don't think works with primary school children at least. Yeah. And say a bit about the kind of the more technical piece of it. Um, like, what, what's your focus on, on that yeah. area? So mindsets honestly takes about three to 18 months, depending on how frozen the mindset of the existing mm. person is. Uh, but very soon after that, as soon as you can see a group of people move, what you start working on is technical skills. Uh, and we work on six key dimensions uh, for the principles mm. itself. Uh, one is driving an assessment. Uh, one is running. Principals in India run a classroom themselves mm -hmm. as well. That is, they actually teach. So mm -hmm. that I think is a great thing because they have a chance of keeping in touch with uh, yeah. reality. Uh, so one is to run an assessment-driven classroom. So what I mean by assessment-driven is that assessment feeds the way you mm. teach. Mm -hmm. It is not that assessment is an end, which is what happens in India. At the end of the year, you look at it and then you know you mark children as good or bad. Mm. There's nothing good or bad about children. Assessment is a way to help you as a teacher understand what you need to instruct next yeah. and which groups, how to group the classroom, because there's huge levels of differentiation yeah. required inside the classroom. I mean, you're all teachers here. You know the level of differentiation required yeah. to actually achieve anything for children. Yeah. Right? So uh, that's that, how to recreate the school environment to be more vibrant, how to recreate the staff meeting to be more around children and learning outcomes as opposed mm. to administrative issues, mm. right? How to recreate community meetings to be around learning and children and how parents can support mm. learning and children as opposed to administrative issues of, you know, bus and midday meal and stuff mm. like that, which is where all conversations amongst adults are on non-emotional administrative issues. They're not mm. built around children's needs and children's learning. So how do you sort of rebuild that? Yeah. And finally, how do you, uh, how does the principal reflect on her own leadership style, behavior, how it's effective, ineffective, and how she can change that? Mm -hmm. So basically, all those four relationships: relation with the community, with the teachers, with the children, and mm -hmm. with herself. I mean, mm -hmm. that those are the technical skills we work on. So which yeah. means you do a role play for how do you do a parent interaction today? Yeah. Uh, and then you debrief that role play, saying what do you think the parent felt? You make a principal herself pretend to be a parent mm. and you say, how did you feel at the end of this? Did you feel judged? Did you feel yeah. included? Did you feel like contributing to the school? I don't think so. You didn't feel that. So yeah. why do you think a parent is going to feel that? And then yeah. we show videos of other principals who've changed the style, yeah. right? And how they are interacting and how parents are responding. So, you know, yeah. stuff like that to at least show you what is an alternative possibility yeah. in terms of how to relate to people and connect. Now, you're doing this on just such a massive scale, as I recall. Yeah. What's the current scale of your... So we work across 1,300 schools with about 400,000 children Yeah. Uh, across five different project locations, which have about 250 schools each. Yeah. And we've purposely chosen three different states, which are in the western half of mm -hmm. uh, India. And uh, uh, we've chosen a site which is a very rural, mm -hmm. a site which is extremely tribal, which means uh, you know populations mm -hmm. are migratory, populations don't speak the local language, have very yeah. different set of customs. Uh, a third project site, which is... Uh, urban mm. and so you know uh, has extreme inward migratory population and fourth which is a megapolis which is Bombay itself mm -hmm. which has a completely different dynamic because of just being a megapolis yeah. Uh, yeah so those are the four sites but we really across these 1300 schools uh, yeah we work with principals. and and how would you describe I, I remember your discussion around like your levels of success I mean how, how would you describe the results that you're seeing so I think the simplest way to describe it is around learning outcomes of children. 
uh, I mean, we look at it at various ways. One is mindset change of the headmaster, mm -hmm. mindset change of the teacher and technical skills development of the teacher, and finally learning outcomes of the children. Mm -hmm. So the first two measures are obviously much more internal because those are the preliminary measures before change in children can be observed. But now what we're able to do is we're able to show across these schools about a 20% improvement in learning outcomes of children versus hmm. control groups hmm. uh, in an externally verified yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, test that's conducted by outside people with sampling yeah. and or, you know, all the usual rigor that a good yeah. foundation would require. And just on average, on average 20%. Yeah, so grade three is more, grade five is less, grade yeah. seven is a little bit less, math is a little bit more, language is a little less, but across the board, uh, and and when you look, you know, at these schools, you know, is is there does there continue to be a bit of a bell curve? Yeah, so it's interesting, but the bell curve moves. Mm. Uh, every year we look at, you know, we have these huge debates within the project team saying mm. this principal has not moved for the last one year. She's still just talking mm -hmm. nonsense and rhetoric. She's not changed one behavior in the classroom. Yeah. She's not one behavior in the, this thing, and so we should drop her out of the program. And someone will fight and say, no, 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 I think she's going to change. And someone else will be, oh, this guy's a classic principal, you know, we should showcase this example yeah. and stuff like that. And the next year, it'll be exactly the opposite. Yeah, right. Incredible. So I think human change is so, uh, hmm. you know, it's, it's so ununderstandable, no matter how much psychology you do. Yeah. And so therefore, I think the working with the principals for three to four years, so that that stabilizes, you know, you lose the motivation, then you come back, then you try harder. And to make that into yeah. your new habit, excellence is a habit, mm. right? So that habit is not going to come easily. Yeah. Uh, you know, you weren't trained for it. So, and as a principal, it's unfortunately something that you do every day. Yeah. And so you do it three, four days and you get tired and you say, I don't need to do this, you know. And yeah. Then you do it for three, four months and you say, this is too much already. I'm ahead of my peer group. Now I can relax. Yeah. Type of thing. You know, so each time so to get it into being a habit takes some time. So yes, there is a curve, but the curve moves. Who's on the yeah. top? Who's at the bottom? Wow. Uh, keeps moving. So that's the good thing. So now, honestly, now no one takes a debate as to whether to let go for principal or not. The only question is, how to work with her so that she hmm. gets the energy wow. to want to cause change. So now... What's so striking talking with you, I mean, we talk so much about the importance of a growth mindset in hmm. kids, you know, yeah. and, and all of us, you know, believing that kids can grow. But talking with you, it's so striking that you have such a deep growth mindset around adults. Absolutely. And I wonder if you can... I mean, was that always there? I, I'm curious if you've thought a lot about about that and how do you build i mean we have a bunch of folks out there developing teachers um, and i think this is one of the hardest things like truly mm. internalizing a growth mindset um, for adults absolutely I, I don't think it's easy and i don't think there's any silver bullet to yeah, that yeah but i think various things work if you try to work uh, with individuals alone i think it is difficult uh, because individuals are, after all, part of an ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? But when you start working, so which is why we always work with a minimum of 100 schools in an area, mm -hmm. because then you're working with two, 300 teachers, 100 principals. So that community that you can create, the only way is mm -hmm. to edge. I mean, why is Wendy speaking to me? Why am I speaking to you? Why am I speaking to Shaheen? Mm -hmm. You know, because we're edging each other on, right? Mm -hmm. To try and do more. I imagine if you're isolated, you couldn't speak to anybody. Yeah. How would it be? So I think that mindset is a question of each of, one of the principals told us, you know, every time I come back to this workshop, it's like an alarm bell for me, mm. right? Because it's like I come back and I say, oh God, I got to do more, right? Yeah. And so that alarm bell needs to keep ringing, I think, uh, amongst yeah. us till it becomes something that just automatically rings when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. When you wake up in the morning, if you don't ask the question saying, how can I lead better today than I did yesterday? 
that's the question to ask, right? So it's such an interesting point about the group dynamic. Yeah. Um, and and what's the smallest unit of that group? I mean, is it? Do you have units and then it all adds up? To yeah. A so it's very Roman army-esque. You know, yeah. Groups of fifty schools which work together with uh, ten fellows. So we run a fellowship actually yeah. inspired by Teach for America, so thank you very much for that. <laughs> uh, we run a fellowship called the Gandhi Fellowship, and so each fellow handles five schools. Mm -hmm. uh, so we also get young people who are coming from campuses, we call it the Gandhi Fellowship, mm. except that instead of actually teaching in schools, each fellow works like an executive assistant to five principals. Mm -hmm. And so when I was talking about the on-site coaching that's given, you typically imagine that the on-site coaching for principals is given by someone who's better than a principal. Mm. Now in a country like India, if you go to try and find, you know, 600,000 mm. schools and then someone better than the 600,000 people, yeah. there's not enough technical talent available. So we actually put the whole thing on the head and said, what if you just had young people? Yeah. Right? If young people can work in McKinsey and Goldman Sachs uh, and advise CEOs how whether to buy a company or sell a company or whether to follow this strategy or that strategy, just because of the system that they've been provided, you know, uh, wow. why can't we get young people? Uh, give them the right set of tools in order to actually work with principals of schools, right? Mm. So that was a challenge. I can see you're already beginning to wonder how could this How'd ever happen. <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> yes. Well, seven years ago, it was a doubt, right? Yeah. Now, no one even questions it because yeah. it sort of just happens. We now have 250 fellows working with 1,300 yeah. schools. So and now how do no you set that dynamic up? I mean, it's interesting yeah. that you call them sort of executive assistants to the principals. Like exactly. That. So uh, the word in Hindi doesn't translate exactly to English, but her word in Hindi is sahyogi, which means someone who walks with you. He's not a coach who knows something more than you. He's not mm -hmm. someone who's less than you. He's someone who walks with you on your journey. Mm -hmm. right? And that's a very important mindset. So the young person has energy, has passion, has problem-solving capability, but she doesn't understand education. Mm. Right? The principal has understanding of context, of community, of education. Mm -hmm. right? And these are the two things you're marrying to try mm. and create change. Mm. And so the young person basically on Monday goes to school one, Tuesday goes to school two, Wednesday goes mm -hmm. to school three, and next Monday comes back to school mm -hmm. one. So every day she's spending five hours in the school, working with the principal, working with the teachers, saying, hey, how can we make it better? How can we make it better? Mm -hmm. How can we do better? How can we do better? Right? That's what she's coming in and doing. Yeah. So, so really we've got 50 schools at a time with 10 fellows and five staff. And this is sort of a team which basically yeah. does whatever is necessary for those 50 schools to improve. Yeah. And so we have imagined that there are therefore about 25 teams like mm -hmm. this which mm -hmm. uh, work by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know um, Aditya has spoken to, on I think many occasions, Teach for All events. Um, and I've heard from a few people that your talk about kind of personal excellence, personal leadership has been like deeply, deeply impactful for them. Um, and I'm wondering if you can say a bit about that. I don't know what was impactful, but <laughs> uh, um, well, I think it's just a question of the choice that you make in life. Uh, for me, at least it is, right? I think each person has to choose their own norm. Uh, I think intellectual potential and emotional potential and spiritual potential of each of us is infinite. And that's the beauty. Physical potential might be finite. Uh, how much I can beat you up, but how much I can care for you is infinite. Mm. Uh, and that's what, whether it was Jesus or Buddha, this is what they showed us, mm. right? Uh, 
and so do you and you know not even that even political leaders like gandhi and mandela they just showed us how much you could care how much how deeply an individual can change and these were people who were just around in the last 2000 years so we know they existed mm. these were not demigods who we are you know creating in mythology these were people who historically existed and if you believe that that exists in children then you have to start believing that it exists in you mm. right that same potential but it's very scary to believe that um uh, right it's extremely mm. scary to believe that that's the potential in each of us because then what the hell am i doing i'm mm. so far below my potential what right do i have even to interact with anyone in the world what am i even talking to other people so i think whole of humanity is in this really substandard level of spiritual emotional performance and then you know like i'm supposed to be inspiring for the remaining group merely because <laughs> i'm like 2% better than mm. the remaining people but what am i compared to my potential i'm nothing and mm. i think when you deeply recognize that and work towards helping that flower inside you mm. you automatically let it flower outside if you mm. and one of my favorite quotes which i keep quoting in teach for india is uh, our deepest fear is not that we are powerless but that we have power beyond any possible conception mm. right and maybe we have that power mm. uh, that is really a f- no no i don't want that power you know all these mm. movies whether it's spider man or batman the problem is that they have power and power is responsibility yeah. and so if we are the most privileged educated group of people uh with networks and access imagine the power that we have and if you don't use that power for the good of humanity or for anything whatever i mean if you don't believe it's good for humanity whatever it is use that power mm. uh i think that is an extremely important that sense of excellence i think that's the only way you can stay happy i mean yeah. for me personally if you're not improving every day i mean imagine if i told you you can't change for the next 20 years you're going to be exactly the same human being yeah you can't improve I mean it's worse than being in prison. Yeah. Right? I mean <laughs> cut my food, cut my social yeah. life. You want to improve all human beings need to be better human beings. Mm. And just in your own thing it's not even about winning awards, it's not about you know being acknowledged by outside groups, it's really about do you believe do I believe I'm a better human being today than I was yesterday? Mm-hmm. And if you just keep asking yourself that question um the answer is very bad for quite some time and then slowly your behavior starts mm-hmm. changing hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh So yeah, I mean I don't know. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there's so much more. I'm realizing we only have about 5 minutes left and I have multiple other questions. Um and I really can't decide between the two of the ones that are most in my mind. I mean I'm going to throw them both out and okay. one is just you know I just I'm going back to to just thinking about about your incredible work and sort of the transformative impact that it it seems the programs you're developing have on these school principals and in turn whole whole communities and i i'm just thinking about how deeply we struggle with attaining the kind of transformative impact we need to we need to have i mean for ourselves and and for yeah. our teachers and and in turn alumni and and communities and i'm wondering I mean, we grapple so much with how do you change mindsets you know mm. how do adults grow mm. um and i'm wondering if there's a level um of insight like if you could leave us with one thought as as a teach for all community on that front what what you would say belief in adults just like you need belief in children like mm. i said the first starting point is all adults are good want to do good but are stuck in systems that make them perform badly. Mm-hmm. If you have an ounce of doubt before you go in and speak to the principal, stay back at home and work with yourself. Yeah. So it's not about changing her belief, it's about changing yours as a practitioner first before you go in and speak mm-hmm. to her. And that's so really that's much 
easier or tougher depending on how you look at it because mm. all mindset changes about someone else right yeah believing that i am perfect and you need to change to become like me mm. uh it's very very profound and and <laughs> and now i can get my my last question in there which is what's next for you um as you think about your potential and the vastness of india how, how do you think about your future uh well there are sort of two broad uh, lines in which hopefully we will work in the next 10 years uh one is with our fellows and one is with the schools mm. these are the two leadership programs we run and they're sort of joined at the hip right because as a fellow as she's intervening in the schools and the communities her sense of leadership is growing and the principal is also growing mm -hmm. so these two programs are very linked uh for the fellowship we've set a really ridiculous goal and actually now it's seeming less and less ridiculous and hopefully in 5 years it will not seem ridiculous mm. at all so actually in india what we believe is that so we post passing out of from 2 years of the fellowship we fellows get a chance to enroll in for want of a better word an alumni program called the new millionaire program right and what do we mean by the new millionaire i think in this generation of people who are 22 to 30 the millionaires are not going to be people who have earned a million dollars which was the aspiration of my father's generation mm. right the millionaires are going to be the people the new millionaires are going to be the people who change a million lives mm. deeply impact a million lives mm. right that's what people want and i think we finally got the pulse on mm. that so once you set that goals even when we are enrolling people into the fellowship we no longer good with you know saying okay this is my sense of agency this is all i want to do we're telling you on day 0 mm. before you even come on board saying this is what we're preparing you for because wow. a country like india we just cannot afford small scale change anymore mm. we need massive and large scale change so if you're still going to resist that every time i intervene with you every time you're in the sense of community instead of pushing each other saying come on push yourself harder push yeah. yourself harder so i think mm. one is to so the alumni program has got much more structured around building the new millionaires mm. uh and that's really exciting amazing yeah so you know so we're just seeing the way people are pushing so the initial resistance saying how where i said those are all secondary questions first make the decision right then we'll figure out how hmm. uh wow. why are you scared to make the decision so so that is one area which i'm really excited about and this doesn't matter whether you go into politics doesn't matter whether you go into public yeah. administration whether you go into academia i mean if you're in academia then be an amartya sen right yeah uh, and how do you Stiglitz. support those folks how do you support so there's a whole bunch yeah. of services right from i mean we've sort of what does business do to make sure that a 25 year old becomes a partner in an extremely good firm by 35 mm -hmm. every 2 years you reinvent the skills required every 2 years are substantially changed right mm -hmm. and there's a systematic path i know what i need to do i mean for me at least i came from a business background you go in you do your engineering you do your business school mm -hmm. you do 2 years in mckinsey you do 2 years here and you know there's a very standard path that's available yeah. i think in the social sector that's not available as yet mm. that's not clear the mentors are still very broad and saying oh great job great job so i unfortunately constantly tell fellows not good enough because what people did in 5 years 5 years 5 years 5 years and therefore by the age of 60 did you should be able to do in 2 years 2 years 2 years 2 years mm -hmm. and that's what business has managed in my father's generation people were becoming ceos at 50 and 55 now ceos are 35 to 40 right mm. and even earlier startups so now can we really cause that to happen by telling you what are the skills required in those 2 years how do you reinvent at the end of 2 years so those five crossroads what decisions do you make mm. you know in those every 2 years are you actually growing and taking the risk at the next level or are you having marginal growth mm. and so we support them through those crossroad decisions through a mentoring program yeah. also in the social sector i mean there's a whole bunch of mentoring around you know personal crisis that people are going through financial crisis that people are going yeah. through but i acknowledge that this sector really burns you out 
And yeah. so just providing those sort of, you know, access to those sort of services and saying yeah. it's fine if you burnt out, right? Uh, uh, then career management to help you take that choice and take the next bigger role. Yeah. So just providing a sense of community for those people to push each other and say, hey, uh, I know a company which is looking for the next, you know, CEO role. Yeah. Uh, I know some, I think this idea that you're on, I know a donor who's going to support it. But just creating that sense of community amongst the existing people and setting that as a goal. I think the biggest mm. problem is setting a goal which is valuable. Mm -hmm. Once you've set a goal, uh, which is numeric and metricizable, I think life is always I mean, there's easier. so much to be learned here for our own alumni work across across the network. Um, it sounds like it's a very individual goal versus a collective goal. Is there a reason yeah. for that? Or um, how do you? Yeah, so we don't necessarily, in a country like India, we don't necessarily focus just on education. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to be able to solve the country's problem because education is mired in health problems. It's true everywhere, in, by the way. Okay. I think so. <laughs> okay, so yeah. it's stuck in livelihood issues as well. It's stuck yeah. in poverty alleviation. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, early pregnancy. I mean, the whole set of issues is mixed up there. So the teacher yeah. alone is not going to be able to solve this. So we encourage people to go across sectors, although invariably 40% land up back in education. Mm. Uh, we encourage people to move yeah. across the sector. So yes, it is a, a individual goal at a starting level. Because uh, so they're resolving to impact a million lives versus yeah. a collective. It's a very good point. I think I should reflect on seeing why we're not setting. So I think once you say change India or something like that, I think it gets lost. Uh, yeah. I mean, it might be useful, uh, but the agent over whom I have control is myself. Mm -hmm. This is not saying that there is a, not a larger goal. Sure. But no, no, no. I was just with curious whom, yeah. how you, because we struggle with this all the time. And Everybody we too. Indians are filled yeah. with rhetoric about how the world needs to change. But mm. the main only person over whom you have control is yourself. Yeah. And if you change, the world changes. So I think maybe that's, I mean, that is my deep philosophy because of yeah. which I'm setting an individual goal. And anyway, while I'm changing a million lives, mm. it doesn't prevent you from changing it as well. And yeah. it doesn't prevent me from collaborating. In fact, invariably, I'll need to collaborate with you yeah. in order to change the world. There is no choice. It's very mm. difficult for me as an individual to do anything that's mm -hmm. useful. Um, there was a second part of your... Of the vision, yes. I uh, was just coming back to that. So yeah, one is on the yeah. education, on the fellowship part, the creating of the millionaires. The second portion is actually even more ambitious on the education side, is to actually create a district leadership program. So currently we work with school mm -hmm. heads mm -hmm. in a three-year program. So the question was, now can you work with district? 150 people in India typically manage a district of about 1,000 schools. Uh, they're also coming from the same teaching cadre. They're also coming from the same principalship cadre, but with not too much skills plus minus from that, mm -hmm. right? What do they actually need to do to lead better teacher development, to lead better principal development, to lead better change management? What do they need to do? Mm -hmm. We don't really know. And so we're actually saying we don't need to change 600,000 schools in the country. What you need to change is 1,000 schools per district mm -hmm. uh, and do that 600 times. Mm -hmm. And so can you figure out, like you figured out five, six levers for a school, can you figure out five, six levers for the district? Mm. Uh, I mean, this is really like a factory, right? Accenture comes in and says high performance delivered, right? What do they do? They come into a factory and they reorganize uh, processes, they said everything. Mm. Uh, reorganize processes, reorganize technology, reorganize people, do leadership, do whatever it takes to improve the district's delivery, mm. right? And I think that sort of discipline doesn't as yet exist in India to be able to go into a district and say, okay, give me three districts, give me six years, this is the set of things we will do. We've not yet synthesized and created that yeah. intellectual property to be able to do that. Whereas the Accentures and the KPMGs and the Deloitte's yeah. of this world do it morning, noon, and night, yeah. right, for different companies. 
Um, I'm not saying the mechanics is exactly the same, right. and I don't think they can do it here easily because the sector is different and yeah. organized with different motivations, but someone needs to figure out that capability. Yeah. So we're investing rather like eight years ago, we said we can change a thousand schools. We are saying in the next five years, can we change 10,000 schools? Yeah. Right? And 10,000 schools is not in the same model. It will actually be by working with district leaders. Mm -hmm. So we will work with a thousand district leaders to change 10,000 schools. Mm -hmm. So even wow. more ambitious and even more crazy, but I mean, if you don't attempt something, what's the loss? We're going to fail. That's the worst that's going to happen. Yeah, so we'll Beautiful. fail. I mean, at least we'll know one thing that doesn't work. No, I love your drive for scale and impact all yes. at the same time. Are you thinking at the district level that the key is sort of building the capacity to do what you all do at the school level or, or no, in a different way? No, it must be way? more than that. Uh, the initial research that we've done over the last year is saying it's, it's more than that. Um, <laughs> because districts handle a whole bunch of politics that we don't need to handle. Mm. About multiple interests play out into the district, the way principals are chosen, the way teachers are chosen, mm. the way you have to motivate, the way transfers are made, the way, the reason why people chose to be in district positions. Mm. So we're only now understanding the organization structure, how people are selected into those roles, what skills they uh, are required in those roles. No one's actually done a disciplined analysis of this in India. The system has sort of got cobbled together uh, by mistake mm. almost. I mean by some sort of design, but you know, you almost need to re-engineer what you need to run a thousand schools. If I was to run a thousand schools in a district, what is the org structure I would set up? What is the skill set I would require? Mm -hmm. Right? So there are twelve hundred schools in Bombay. The gentleman who handles that is an extremely committed gentleman. But with the org structure that he has, if I was head of that institution, I would not be able to deliver. Yeah. So we really need to work out what is the ideal org structure, then advocate for making sure that org structure exists. What are the skills required? Therefore, making sure that the right set of people are coming into those roles. Yeah. Uh, then making sure what are the right set of processes, what are the right technology required. So it's going to be a lot more than what we are doing. It's yeah. possibly reinventing the organization yeah. quite substantially. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'm just embracing going to the full hour. So, um, <laughs> you know, there's a whole other, I, I ran into you, where was I? We were in Singapore where we crossed paths, ah, yes, were we not? And Correct. I think you were there, if I'm correct about I... this, as part of a task force on, on kind of thinking about really what kids need as, as it relates to sort of 21st century skills and all. And I, I wonder what, what you've come to through your engagement in that. So actually, that, that's a group that's led by Harvard Graduate School of Education, uh, and it includes uh, six research agencies, one each in China, Singapore, India, Mexico, Chile, and the US. Mm. And we're all looking at our own individual countries and saying, how do we define the skills that, 21st, that our countries are claiming are required by children in the 21st century? Mm -hmm. That's question number one. And what are the mechanisms we're putting in place to make sure that that happens? Mm -hmm. Because it's reasonably obvious that at least low-income population with just math and language, I don't think they're going to survive anymore. Yeah. I mean, 20 years from now. You, today itself, it's not enough. If you don't have much, much greater social-emotional skills, right, to be able to relate to people, influence people, connect with people, collaborate with people, teamwork mm -hmm. with people, these social skills are extremely critical. It's a service economy in the future, yeah. right? So that's extremely critical. Uh, entrepreneurship, risk-taking, creativity, right? Especially in countries like India, you're not going to have, uh, you're not creating a job-seeking population. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, entrepreneurship and risk-taking is going to be extremely important. And citizenship, right? Uh, how do you create people who care for public mm -hmm. good? 
what is that mindset required? Mm -hmm. Not just private good, but public good. How does that get indoctrinated in children? Mm -hmm. So these are a broad two, three groups, socio-emotional skills, citizenship, and entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. and economic development, you know. Mm -hmm. So these broad, and each of these breaks down into further skills yeah. and things like that. So the good thing is that what we've seen from the study is that a lot of countries across the world are talking about it. Yeah. The bad thing is that very few good executions. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very few good executions of how people are actually doing this on scale. Yeah. So you find pockets of excellence, which is not good enough for yeah. children. And it creates even more diversity. And is that dovetailing with your work with, with schools and principals? Absolutely. So uh, we're working with kids who are coming from populations who don't have cognitive skills. They have a lot more tactile skills, mm -hmm. right? And so as you're working with those children, but they have different skills from what I've been trained in the last three generations. So uh, if we don't work with the beauty that they have uh, and see what they naturally mm -hmm. do, so the natural sense of curiosity is very different. The natural ability to relate is very different. I don't need to separately train them in school for this, mm -hmm. but their ability to abstract might be not as much, but their ability to do tactile is greater. So if you don't understand this, then you know, our ability to actually impact is, is compromised. So we're trying to tie up with more institutions to try to understand one of the constraints in this is how do you measure this? I'm an accountant at heart, so if we don't measure how change happens, totally. it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't move forward. So mm -hmm. I'm saying whether it's cognitive or socio-emotional or entrepreneurship or citizenship, can I say I improved it by 20%? Mm -hmm. And if I can't improve by 20%, I don't know whether I'm doing yeah. good enough. So, you know, so... Uh, are there promising efforts out there on that front, on the front yes, of Yes, so in fact, so the first book is being published by Harvard Education Press right. uh, on what is the curriculum framework across six different countries on this. Right. And the second book, which will hopefully come out in two years, is actually about promising case studies in each of the six countries. In fact, we're adding three more case studies from other countries mm -hmm. as well about people who are doing 21st century skills to develop entrepreneurship, develop citizenship, develop yeah. uh, inquiry-based science systems, uh, develop yeah. technology skills, critical thinking, which are all not what is normally done. And on reasonable scale, you've done it with at least 250 to 1,000 schools. Yeah. So there are examples out there, but uh, we need to learn disproportionately from them and reorganize our systems yeah. to be able to serve children better. Hmm. This is so beautiful. There are so many ways in which everything you're thinking about dovetails with everything we're trying to think about. Yes. Um, I feel like we need to keep talking for the next like 24 <laughs> hours, seriously. We could double click on so much that we've discussed and we may wanna try to find a way to do that at some sure. point. So, um, but thank you so much for, for being here. It's, it's a huge impact for us. So thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. For more information about Teach For All, visit teachforall.org.